0: This podcast is my opinion and interpretation of the historical events that I will discuss. The purpose of the podcasts are, in general, to discuss American and world history in a way that engages you and explains so much of the country and the world around you. But I also discuss it in a way that is understandable and interesting. Welcome back to this 18th podcast and world history. We're well into the development of the Roman Empire. And in podcast 17, we discussed this idea of the Christian attitude or mindset in the sense that it was perceived by outsiders as being more or less of a pessimistic outlook. However, as I also mentioned in podcast 17, that there's no largely any academic doubt any longer nor had there been for centuries that christianity was the largely the only unifying force in the late roman empire and then throughout europe by extension from there we then looked in that podcast about the role or lack thereof of this idea of education in the sense that it was considered to be not necessary it was better to prepare for the second coming and or their own death and resurrection. We also don't see any evidence that the Roman Catholic Church pushed for the idea of education either. These two elements are what brought about this concept of what we call the Dark Ages. This is the reason why this roughly 1,000-year time period known as the Middle Ages is also called the Dark Ages as well, and that's where that dark comes from. It's the absence of of new knowledge. It's the absence of the conquest or the search for knowledge. We also looked at how Christians were fostering Roman ideas within the confines of the Roman empires, institutions. We ended the podcast looking at the effects of St. Augustine who lived from 354 to 430 AD in his autobiography called The Confessions, looking at this idea of human weakness. In other words, human error versus a life of evil. We ended then looking at what evil really was. And again, ironically enough, spelled backwards, live, it's almost as though evil is is in opposition to life. As time marched on and the Roman Empire again continued to disintegrate by 476 or, depending upon your belief in which theory is valid to you, either disintegrated, moved over to modern-day Istanbul for another 1,000 years, or continued on under the name of the Roman Catholic Church, questions started to crop up. If we humans born with this idea of this concept of original sin, which we'll talk about in a moment, that means there is some bad in the world, does it not? In other words, evil, does it really exist? And Augustine's not denying that it does. But herein lies a conundrum, or in essence, a question that largely does not have one agreed upon answer. If God created everything in the world, then did not God also create evil? Again, it's a question that that goes back for millennia. However, I would like to share with you a story about how one particular atheist professor attempted to prove that religion as a whole is a hoax and was largely pointed out, this was pointed out to this professor by one well-known, although not at this time, well-known student. So this question, does evil exist? And prayer, and and, prayer, Pardon me here, I'm going to read this as I don't want you to think I'm paraphrasing. I'm going to read this word for word. And then in the end, I'll tell you when I'm done. But I would like you to consider whether this actual transaction, whether this this uh, conversation really took place or not, is not nearly as important as the idea that come or ideas that come out of it. So, the university professor challenged his students with this question: Did God create everything that exists? A student bravely replied. Yes, he did. God created everything, the professor asked. Yes, sir, the student confidently replied. The professor answered, if God created everything, then God created evil, since evil exists. And according to the principle that our works define who we are, then God is evil. The once confident student became quieter now as he was searching for an answer. The professor, however, was quite pleased with himself and boasted to the students that he had once again proven that the Christian faith, and by extension religion as a whole, is nothing more than a myth. However, another student, towards the back of the class that oftentimes didn't say much, said, Can I ask you a question, professor? Well, of course, replied the professor. The student asked, Professor, does cold exist? The professor looked and said, what kind of question is this? Of course it exists. Haven't you ever been cold? The rest of the students kind of snickered at the young man's foolish question. But the young man replied, sir, in fact, cold does not exist. According to the laws of physics, and to the student was, what we consider cold is in reality the absence of heat. Every body or object is susceptible to study when it has or transmits energy. And heat is what makes a body or matter have or transmit energy. Absolute zero, negative 460 degrees Fahrenheit, is the total absence of heat. All matter becomes inert and incapable of reaction at that temperature. Cold does not exist. We have created this word to describe how we feel when there is an absence of enough heat. The student continued, «Professor, does darkness exist?» The professor responded, «Well, of course it does!» The student replied, «Once again, sir, you're wrong. Darkness does not exist either. Darkness is, in reality, the absence of light. Light we can study, but we can't study darkness. In fact, we can use Newton's prism to break white light into many colors and study the various wavelengths of each color. But you cannot measure darkness.» A simple ray of light can be break into the world of darkness and illuminate it. How can you know how dark a certain space is? Why, you measure the amount of light present, isn't this correct? Darkness is a term used by man to describe what happens when there is an absence of enough light. Finally, the professor came back full circle. Sir, does evil exist? Now uncertain, the professor stammered, of course, as I already said, we see it every day in the daily example of man's inhumanity to man. It is in the multitude of crime and violence everywhere in the world. These manifestations are nothing else but evil. To this, the student replied, evil does not exist either, sir. Evil is simply the absence of God. It is just like darkness and cold, a word that man has created to describe the absence of something. So, too, is what evil is. It's an absence of God. Evil is not like faith or love that exists just as does light and heat. Evil is the result of what happens when man does not have God's love present in his or her heart or heart it's like the cold that comes when there is no heat or the darkness that comes when there is no light with that the professor sat down now as you were listening to this you, and again this is the end of my reading of course of this excerpt but as you were reading this you might have thought no, I, I know i've heard that before well the fact of the matter is is yes it's relatively common every so often you can find it for example in a church bulletin or on a um, roman catholic website It is largely believed that Albert Einstein was the student that had challenged that philosophy professor. However, we have no real proof of this. And and as I mentioned earlier before I even started reading that, who said it and who the professor was was not nearly as important as the idea. And the fact of the matter is, is that this whole notion of evil is enough to bog people down and make us terrified saint augustine was attempting to break through all of that he was trying to differentiate that okay so were i born with this idea of original sin but does that mean that we're condemned then to a life of evil and absolutely he says we don't there is a difference between human error versus a life of evil and by the way that document that excerpt that i just read to you over this podcast of all The books, magazines, journals, newspaper articles, interviews that I read of all documents that I read in every college class that I've taught over the past 20 years, that document about whether evil exists is the most sought after by my current and former students. It's amazing that students will reach out to me a few years after they've had my class in world history and say, Professor, can I have a copy of that? Can you send me a picture of that? I want to use that for another class, or I just wanted to reread that. So again, it, it really is thought provoking. So let's move on now again, whether this this idea of human weakness, human error versus a life of evil, and let's look at this concept of original sin. If you notice the way, and again, as I have said earlier, I'm a Roman Catholic, but this is not a, a podcast in any way to try to manipulate you or directly trying to recruit anybody into following Catholicism or Christianity as a whole or any other religion. But it is something that needs to be talked about because of the impact of this Jesus Christ in the historical world in the time period that we're discussing. So this idea of original sin is explained in the first book of the Old Testament, the Bible the book of Genesis, is the idea of how this concept of original sin or wrongdoing came into the world. If one is familiar with the story, you already know then what I'm about to remind a lot of listeners to. The fact of the matter is if you notice the way the story of how the original sin came in, it's really not any one particular life form. It's not Adam by himself or Eve, or even the serpent or snake. If you notice, the way this story is written, it's really a tripart. It's really a, a combination of the three life forms essentially coming together to challenge God's authority. As we know, if one believes verbatim into the Genesis theory, that Adam and Eve were the ter- two first humans created by God as he created the world in seven days. And again, I'm not here to debate whether the world is created in 724 hours time period or not. However, in my second half of World of American History podcast, I do get into that with the Scopes trial in the 1920s. However, this notion that Adam and Eve were told that anything in this beautiful Garden of Eden, in this utopia, this paradise, they could have absolutely anything. But just don't touch that big tree in the center. And don't take that luscious fruit that you see hanging off of those tree branches, the apples. Interesting. God says you, Adam and Eve, you can have anything you want in this beautiful paradise. Just don't touch that tree. So how then do they ultimately break God's command? Again, it's not any one life form. The serpent is the one that slithers up. To both of them? No. Just to Eve. And says, come on, Eve. Take a look at that apple. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't it look so good? God's not going to know if you touched it. Go ahead. You see, by the way that story is written, Eve did not come across the idea by herself. She was led to think in a new way or to see something differently based on another life form. The author, of course, just chose the snake or the serpent. So notice again, Eve's not walking through saying, you know what, I've had it with this god. I want to taste that apple. Uh-uh. Supposedly, she never had the idea. The idea was given to her. But the snake, being armless and legless, couldn't get the fruit himself and give it to Eve. So he, the snake persuades Eve to grab the apple. Aha. So evil comes into the world through a woman. No, because that's not the end of the story. Eve grabs the apple, says, wow, this really does look fantastic. (laughs) Where's Adam? Seeing that he wasn't here to listen to this conversation between the snake and myself, why don't we have Adam try the apple? So you notice Adam is the one that takes the bite, suddenly becomes aware of his surroundings, Immediately gives the apple to Eve, who then also chomps into it. And then there, boom, is the idea of original sin. The original or first time that the human race went against God's commands or wishes. But a quick review. See how that original sin, understand how that original sin came about. Serpent tempts. Eve relents. Grabs the apple but has enough strength to say, I'm not going to eat it, though, because I know we're not supposed to. But here, Adam, you try it. Adam didn't take the apple from the tree. Eve did. All he did was bite into it. Please know, though, if that is how evil came about, if you had it within your means, listeners, If you truly could turn back the hands of time to go all the way back to the origins of this story and persuade the snake to get lost or Eve to not listen to the snake, if you, in other words, could truly eradicate evil from the world, if you, with the snap of your fingers right now, could say evil, boom, you're gone human race can no longer commit any wrongdoing would you do it would you actually snap your fingers to eradicate evil from the world that humans create because here's the problem folks with that wish as they say be careful what you wish for because you just might get it in order to take evil away from the world you're also going to have to take away something else from our humanity, and that is the word consciousness. Yes, you take away evil, the ability to do wrong, you have also robbed the human race of the ability to think, to have a conscience. No, it's not a stretch. It's not a play on words. Think about what consciousness is. When a crime is done and the, the accused is in court, what are the prosecutors trying to prove that that man or woman committed that crime consciously? We hear that word all the time. Let's break it down. Con-science. Con meaning with Science meaning knowledge. It is our choice whether after Eve took the apple, after Adam sunk his teeth into it, from there on out, it is up to the human race to make the choice to do wrong or to do good. But you rob us of that ability, of that ability to make a decision, Yes, you've eradicated evil, but is that what God really wanted? Because if that's the case, folks, how are we any different than a robot? How is the human race any different than the lioness who takes down an antelope in the African plains in order to feed its young? The lioness steals consciously? Heck no. The lioness is bringing down the antelope or the elk or the gazelle in order to feed its young. Very different than the man who just committed a robbery and tried to flee, realizing there was a witness and shot the witness dead. That human being and that lioness are not killing another life form for the same reason, not even close. You see, that's the difference and that's what consciousness is given to us. That's what Eve and then Adam, by extension, brought on to the human race was the ability to think. That's the reason, go back to that example that I mentioned in the last podcast about the student that stole the pencil in order to take the exam. He panicked. He committed what we call human error. Well, what's the difference between that and a life of evil? Because he didn't stay committed to it. When the passion, that moment passed, The guilt crop crept up into his what? Subconscious? No. Into his id? No. Into his ego? No. It crept up into his consciousness. He knew what he did. And he knew that the A that he got, he didn't deserve. So he went back and he righted that wrong. That person's not committed to a life of evil. But what that person is committed to is every attempt to use his consciousness for the betterment of himself and humanity around him." So again, that's St. Augustine, Dustin, folks, in his autobiography, The Confessions, that beyond is some very deep writing and deep thinking in that man's autobiography. More than encourage you to, to, to read it. It is not a book you're gonna flip through a chapter a night. It is a book kind of like the series of The Road Less Traveled by Dr. M. Scott Peck. These are books that you can only sometimes read literally at a couple of times, maybe only a paragraph, maybe only a couple of sentences, because there's just simply a lot there. So with that roughly in the same time period, we also come across the writings of St. Jerome. St. Jerome, in his years, 340 to 419 AD, produced what became known as the Vulgate which is the translation of the Old and New Testaments from the original languages of Hebrew and Greek into Latin, which was the common language. Because Saint Jerome did that, he laid the foundation for the Old and New Testaments to move forward for the next several centuries. Where the concept is ageless, that the moment a new population speaking a different language is converted to Christianity, then those documents, those books from the Old and New Testament, would also be converted to their language. Again, the concept itself is ageless. But please remember also something else, though. Every time a human being translates something, even if it's repeated, we know that there's a human tendency to not remember things exactly as they were. So these translations throughout the last two millennia are, of course, prone to have variations in their translations. Again, just a side note to remember on that. So we're moving along here as the Roman Empire, again, either has disintegrated or it has moved uh, further east or continued under the domain now of the Roman Catholic Church. We do know one thing, regardless of what theory you believe about the end of the Roman Empire. The people of the former empire, they moved. Their successive generations, they moved. They Their population increased. They started expanding from their original 35 modern-day country boundaries. So, therefore, there was no surprise that migration would have been done in search for more peaceful dwellings. Something also crept in to the legal aspect in the early middle ages and that's what became known as the salic law the salic law s-a-l-i-c this is the reason why after the fall or movement of the roman empire is the reason why by and large we're not going to see empire return to the european continent For the remainder of this time period, in what we call the first half of world history, arguably, empire never really does return again in the way that we saw with the Romans and the Greeks, parallel and before that. Partly again is the reason. The reason for this is the Salic Law. What the Salic Law stated, simply put, is that the inheritance of land must be distributed equally to all living male heirs. The Salic law is the reason why, for example, when I mentioned to you, for the example, the name Charlemagne, some people say, yeah, Charlemagne and his empire. Empire, yeah, it was a decent chunk of land. Heck, yes, it was. Then why doesn't that qualify for this term empire? Because it doesn't last long. It can't. The Salic law will kick in when Charlemagne is dead and gone where his land will be divided equally amongst all living heirs. Now, when we get there in a couple of podcasts from now, we'll see Charlemagne was smart. He knew how to circumvent the idea of the Salic Law. To our knowledge, he only had one son, Louis, so he kept that intact. But his son, Louis, as we'll find out, had a pretty fast zipper. And by the time Louis died, let's just say he had more than one son. His land that he inherited from his father was divided equally, and Charlemagne's empire was dead and gone along with Charlemagne himself. And we'll talk more about that when we get into those podcasts. What we're gonna take a look at though, in terms of this podcast is the idea of what we call Germanic society. When I mention the name German, again, you can think of modern day Germany in Northern Europe today, but not Germanic. When I say Germanic, not in the sense of the future Germans. In the early Middle Ages, the 5 and 6 and 700s AD, Germanic simply means nearby or neighboring in the peoples of northern Europe that were now starting to rub elbows with the individuals of the former Roman Empire that were migrating north. This was a very different distinct group of people. Germanic people of modern-day northern Europe, they thought in social, not political terms. Their lives were mandated not by political and legal norms, rather by social norms. And you might roll your eyes and say, well, yeah, Chris, you were right several podcasts ago when you said we're going to kind of go backwards here in human development and thinking. But that's not what I mean here. When I say that the Germanic peoples didn't think in political terms, it's not a bad thing. I'm not here to criticize it or to praise it. They just thought differently. And by this I mean in social terms. So let's expand this. What we're talking about here. When we mean by so thinking in social terms. And again, if you want to rest comfortably, if in your driver's seat, if you're listening to this as you're driving, or on your um, exercise machine as you might be listening to this, or maybe you're listening to this trying to fall asleep. But let's hope not. Uh, nevertheless, this is what we mean by this. And see if you do not uh, recognize some elements of this in modern day American society. What we mean by thinking in social terms is that customs related regulated, excuse me, everything, everything was based on customs. Even the rise of their leaders was largely gained through military successes on the battlefield. Think about that though, with us in America today to see just how little we've changed. Remember, in the sense of this, when we get to the age of exploration, a vast majority of white Americans in the United States today can trace our DNA to these individuals of the continent of Europe. So when Germanic society, more or less their ideas, spread throughout the continent of Europe, those same people that eventually colonize North, Central, and South America are going to bring those norms with them. Where today, customs do have a huge impact on us. If you don't believe me, then answer me this. Why do you most likely already know, and it doesn't matter what time of the year you're listening to this podcast, why do you most likely already know where you're going to be, who you're going to be with, and what you're going to be eating on the last Thursday of November? Yeah, that's right. On that Thursday of, the, of November that we call Thanksgiving, the average person in America, you may not know all three answers, where you're going to be, what, who you're going to be with, or what you're going to be eating. But chances are, you know, at least two out of those three of where you're going to be or what's going to be going on on Thanksgiving. Why? Because it impacts us. Businesses largely are going to be closed. Yes, some might open up at 6 p.m., some at midnight as we get ready for Black Friday. But by and large, we're going. To, we know that America is going to take a, a pause on that day. That things are going to slow down as we celebrate a largely iconic American holiday. Imagine. For those of you that roll your eyes and say, yep, I know I'm going to be at grandma or grandpa's or I'm going to be at mom and dad's or aunt or uncle so-and-so or both of them, what have you. Yep, I know exactly what's going to be on the table. I know it's everything that's going to be laid out. We're all going to be dressed a little bit nicer and it's going to be a special day. Yeah, if you don't think customs still regulate everything, many things here in America, consider this. The people that normally host your Thanksgiving dinner Consider calling them and saying a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving and saying, hey, Aunt so-and-so, Uncle so-and-so, or Grandma, Grandpa, Mom, Dad, you've been doing Thanksgiving for as long as I can remember, and this year, I'm going to give you the year off. You're not going to do anything for Thanksgiving except enjoy the meal. They're going to have a lot of hesitation. Wait a minute, what's going on? I'm not preparing Thanksgiving? Dinner? Boom, at that point, grandpa or uncle so and so, if that's the traditional American family, they're gonna be grabbing the other line there and saying, wait a minute, nobody's messing with my Thanksgiving dinner. Say, no, no, grandpa, uncle so and so, dad, don't worry about it. I've got dinner handled. You're gonna make Thanksgiving dinner? No. I'm gonna bring over McDonald's big box. I'm gonna to go to White Castle's and grab a stack and we're gonna have a great old time. We're not gonna worry about making anything. Thump, boom, there goes down grandpa or uncle dad or dad. A few seconds later, other people join them, right? Because they've passed out because you've messed with customs. You've messed with our societal norms. You wanna do that on any other Thursday of the year, you probably won't have a problem with that, but not on that Thursday in November. So this is what just a quick example here of how Germanic society is going to more or less be having an impact on the former people of the Roman Empire. When we come back in the next podcast, we're going to then look at what people of the East were doing when I mentioned earlier for those that believe that the Roman Empire didn't fall in 476, rather it simply moved to modern-day Istanbul. We're going to take a look at what that means. In the meantime, though, thank you for listening. Go to my website, cekinsella.com, and email me with any questions. Have a great day, and thanks for listening.